Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement, it's part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. To paraphrase biomechanist Dr. Stuart McGill, many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you the chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout during your commute, workout, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60-plus minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH. FitLab PGH highlights people, locally-owned businesses, and events in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that understand that movement its part of what makes your life complete. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody that you think we should interview? Then drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com or connect with us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, both at underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live is back with another podcast interview. As you heard in the intro, Moving to Live is a podcast for movement and fitness professionals and what we like to call amateur aficionados, people who maybe aren't in the profession or aren't fully in the profession, but they want to become in the profession or they want to have the interest. What we try to do is we try to find people with interesting stories, and I use this term in a positive manner. I try to find atypical people, and our guest today I think uh, falls under the atypical realm, partially because of the activity or sport that he still participates in. It's not what you think of as somebody who works as an athletic trainer and a college professor, but he's also got an interesting background as far as how he came to get where he is today. Today, our guest is Dr. Guillermo Escalante. He has an undergraduate degree in athletic training. He has a master's of business, business administration, and he also has a doctoral degree, which I'm sure he'll talk about a little bit more. The interesting thing about his doctoral degree, I believe it's from Rocky Mountain, and he's our third guest that we've had with a degree from there. He is currently an assistant professor of kinesiology at Cal State University San Bernardino and the COO of Edge PT in Upland, California. Guillermo, thanks for taking time on your travels to a conference to chat with Moving to Live today. Well, thanks for having me, Dr. Ruder. I, I appreciate the um, invitation to be here, and I'm looking forward to doing this. One of the things as we were chatting before I started recording is I said I came up with part of the idea for Moving to Live is everybody's got some of a different and interesting story. And from looking at your age and when you've graduated from school, you're not quite as old as me, but you probably remember as an athletic trainer when there was the internship program. So if you could just briefly talk about how you got to the point you are now, did you start out as an athletic trainer in a curriculum program or was it an internship program and where was it? No, I, I, 
I very much remember the internship program, and in fact, I'm a product of the old school internship program, uh, where uh, you basically have to do your 1,500 hours uh, before you can sit for the NATA exam, and uh, there were some courses that were required you were required to take, uh, and that was the case at the University of Laverne. Uh, since I've graduated, of course, they have moved on, and now they, they're an ASAP accredited program, and they're moving on to the master's degree program here in the near future. But uh, when I attended there in uh, 1994 through 97, uh, we were the uh, internship route through to becoming an athletic trainer. Uh, so um, I was uh, I started out as a biology major there, and uh, I, I was always interested in rehab and fitness and sports performance enhancement. Um, and the biology was interesting, and I loved it. I ended up minoring in that uh, because of all the classes that I ended up taking it anyway. Uh, but um, very early in my career, after I took my very first athletic training class, the intro to athletic training, um, I saw that that was really more where I wanted to be. I wanted to be with the athletes. I wanted to be with, on the field. I wanted to work in that capacity. I wanted to learn about preventing injuries. I wanted to learn about rehabbing injuries. Um, the exercise physiology component really uh, called my name. I wanted to learn more about sports nutrition, sports supplementation. So it was really more of a, uh, a great background uh, in all of my undergraduate studies to get to where I wanted to go. Um, so I started there in 1994 uh, in the program, and I, uh, I sure enough started in the, in the curriculum program uh, there, and uh, I went through all the classes, and uh, I don't recall exactly what we had to take, but I do remember uh, we had to do uh, basically an intro to athletic training class, uh, and there we learned basic first aid, CPR, that was one of the requirements of the class. We had to learn basic ankle taping techniques. Uh, we had to do a lot of observation hours, uh, and that was basically pay your dues from uh, doing things such as ice and uh, uh, getting getting ice for the athletes, uh, maybe uh, working under more senior athletic trainers or student athletic trainers to helping them get what they needed to get and working with teams, of course, under the guidance of, uh, of the certified athletic trainers that were in the athletic training room, uh, and just being in that atmosphere. Um, then we also had an advanced athletic training class, which before you could get into there, you had to have your anatomy and your physiology. So I took those classes early on in the career. Um, we also had to have biomechanics. We had to have a, it was called a kinesiology. And uh, that was my first introduction. Uh, as a freshman, I, I remember asking, what the heck is kinesiology? Um, and the way it was introduced to me at the university uh, because we had a class called kinesiology, and that was basically for us a functional anatomy class uh, where you had to learn the muscles' origins, insertions, uh, the, the nerves that innervated, and the actions, planes of motion, uh, and that was a class that uh, I, uh, I still utilize to this day in analyzing sport movement. Uh, and uh, we had to do a, a basic nutrition class, and uh, that was the extent of it. We had to do the anatomy, oh, and the exercise physiology, of course. So those were the fundamentals. Uh, and that, along with your 1,500 hours of clinical experience, allowed you to sit for the NATA exam once you were uh, finished with your degree. 
And what was your goal, say, as you started your senior year, or maybe partway through your senior year when you sat down for the exam? What was your goal t- as far as what you planned to do with that athletic training degree and subsequent certification? Well, originally my plan was to uh, go to uh, medical school or go to PT school, uh, and I you know, I, I had I had very good grades. I, I I was a summa cum laude graduate, so I very rarely got B's. And again, I, I had the biology classes too, so I took genetics, I took uh, organic chemistry, chemistry, the physics series. So I, I was a good student, and I worked hard. Uh, uh, the one thing that uh, really made I had reservations to go forward uh, in that was that I was a very young father. So I, I, I had my son uh, at 19. Uh, he actually is, uh, he's now 21, going on 22, but uh, he's, uh, he's severely autistic. He's got some severe disabilities. So we had a lot of challenges as a very young family uh, trying to move into this. So for me to uh, not be able to, to go to work immediately and provide for my family was a, a really important thing. So uh, instead of going to PT school or, uh, or med school, I, I actually ended up working. Uh, and that's when, uh, I decided to pursue my master's because I could work full time. Uh, and then I could do my master's part time. My father was a professor there at the university. So the one thing that I did have going for me was school was free. Uh, so my undergraduate degree was a private school. Uh, I didn't pay much for it for my master's degree. Same thing. I basically paid the cost of books. Uh, but the master's degree worked out great for me because I wanted to learn about healthcare management. I wanted to learn about business management. Uh, I had thought about maybe opening a business at some point in time at, at a young age. And uh, I thought, well, I could learn from this. And uh, if not, I could go into the industry and, uh, and I'll have a, a, this master's degree in, in uh, business with concentrations in healthcare management, which would be a nice round uh uh, nice round circle to kind of complete complete a good package and be able to apply for some of these positions. Um, so I, as I was doing that, I, I sat for my certifications as the athletic trainer. I did the uh, strength and conditioning specialist because that was my passion. I was working full-time at an outpatient physical therapy clinic, um, and I started working there as a, as a young kid in college as a physical therapy aide, uh, and I enjoyed that uh, quite a bit. Um, and then uh, when I finished my, my degree, my undergraduate degree, um, I then, we were called uh, Fortin Ace Physical Therapy Sports Medicine Center. But from what I saw, we did a lot of physical therapy, but I didn't see we really did a lot of sports medicine. Um, there was a big need in the area uh, to have certified athletic trainers uh, go to these uh, locations because there were a lot of the high schools in the area had no certified athletic trainers. So uh, I propositioned the owner of the company, and I said, look, there's this need here, um, and I'm working on my business degree anyway. How about you let me put together this uh, outreach program to the local communities and uh, be able to provide certified athletic trainers through our clinic? And uh, Sure enough, he let me do that. He gave me a little leeway. I didn't ask for any extra money. I just wanted, it was something that I wanted to develop. So uh, within the first year, we had a very successful running of uh, the outreach program. We had eight contracts within the first year and 
They had certified athletic trainers all in the area. And this in turn really made us become more of a sports medicine center within the San Gabriel Valley in Southern California. And uh, now we had a presence in all of these high schools. When kids got injured within the local high schools, they knew to come to our place for rehab. Uh, and the athletic trainers would feed them into us. And, of course, we networked with other doctors that we worked with. So it really worked out well. And I used my business skills uh, that I was learning and basically developing a business plan, marketing, community outreach, um, pricing strategies, uh, hiring the athletic trainers that we needed and how we were going to place them, scheduling them. Um, and uh, he, he gave me the title director of sports medicine for this outreach program. Um, but I, he was so happy with me that when I finished my master's degree, I was, I was actually going to go into the U.S. Air Force as a hospital administrator. And uh, I almost signed a dotted line, uh, but he actually offered me a position as the chief operating officer of the whole company now. And uh, then at, at, at 23 years old, I was overseeing over 50 employees, uh, physical therapists, athletic trainers, occupational therapists. And uh, I basically reported to the clinical director and, uh, and to the owner of the company. And uh, that was kind of my start in the business side of things uh, was this community outreach sports medicine program that eventually led to me learning more of the business side of the rehab business, which was billing and contract management and all of that that goes along with managing a, a sports medicine physical therapy type of facility. And then you're still currently a COO of a PT place. Is this the same place or have you branched out on your own or has that place gone into business with some, another business or how does that work? Well, it, it, uh, no, that I actually left the company, uh, that I, that I was working for in 1999. And, uh, I was, uh, toying with the idea of, uh, going out on my own. So I was developing a business plan, uh, before that, I was trying to figure out, you know, what I what I was going to do, how I was going to do it. Uh, and actually, I, I take that back. It wasn't 1999. It was in 2000 when I left uh, Fortnite. And uh, as I was trying to do all of this, I I uh, had an opportunity. One of my mentors uh, for my athletic training hours um, had a they they had called her and they said, hey, look, we need a, an interim head athletic trainer at East Los Angeles Community College. Uh, the, the gentleman who was in charge was on administrative leave for whatever reason. Uh, and she reached out to me and she says, hey, Guillermo, I know that, uh, you know, you're, you're looking to starting this business, but this might be a short time fill-in that can give you some experience and you can try it and see, see what comes of it. And if you want to start your business in a year, you can. So I took this nine-month position, uh, and I was the interim head athletic trainer at East Los Angeles Community College. Uh, while I was there, I, I was uh, doing a few other things. I was uh, I was involved with uh, with coaching uh, a high school track team. I was the, I, I was the head track coach of an all-girl Catholic high school track team because uh, I, I did run track and play football through, through college uh, and. Uh, I was also the interim head athletic trainer here. I was filling that in. I was working on writing my business plan, uh, see what I was going to do, when I was going to do it. And uh, I did that for nine months. Um, 
during that time, I also had the opportunity to do strength and conditioning for the uh, college's football team. Uh, I worked with the track and field team and the, uh, the cross-country team, which was uh, pretty fun for me, and, and did the traditional athletic training duties as well. Um, I had a, an assistant athletic trainer, which was nice because we were able to work together and do that. But uh, I did branch out on my own in 2001, and I started started my company, and uh, I moved out from there. Um, I started very small. I only had a, a little bit of money in, in the savings account, uh, and I, I went to a, a small gym in, a, uh, in, in Claremont, California. Uh, it was privately owned, and I, I subleased a little room that was maybe 10 by 12 feet, and uh, that's what I could afford. I, I bought a couple of treatment tables and uh, some office equipment and uh, things that I could do some cash-based uh, rehab with clients. And I could also do personal training. And I, I had an agreement to be able to use the gym. And, and that was the start of my company, which used to be called Sports Bros. Uh, over the years, it's grown. Uh, you know, we now have a 3,200-square-foot facility. Uh, I have sold some of my shares. And... When I became a full-time professor at Cal State San Bernardino, I, I uh, pulled back where I'm still there, and I still have a presence, but uh, I'm no longer the CEO. I, be, I, I became a COO to play more of a supportive role rather than a leading role uh, in, in our company. And I think that's an area that we should talk about more because it seems like people who are in the exercise science, sports medicine, whatever the terminology you want to call it, when they graduate and they get a little bit of work experience, they go in one of two directions. They either go where they go into business for themselves or they go, well, I'm going to go into the academic route or working for athletic programs. So clearly you took the business route, but on the other hand, you at some point ended up as a college professor also. And I'm wondering, was some of that because you saw the experiences? I think you mentioned a few minutes ago that your father was a college professor. Did you see that and thought, I want to do that too? Or did, how did it develop that you decided, I want to pursue the academic side of the profession also? Well, um, as I said, I, I finished my master's degree in 1999. I was, I was a young kid. I was, uh, I think I had I was about to turn 23 years old, and then I had started my business in 2001. Uh, I was running along, but I always wanted to do a doctorate, uh, not for anybody else or not to do anything else, but for myself. Uh, Rocky Mountain offered me the opportunity to be able to continue to run my business, grow my business, um, and uh, when I when I was Doing that, I I was uh, I, I took this program in athletic training. It was Dr. Chu was actually the program director, Donald Chu, uh, and he was always one of my idols as I was studying, you know, and, and learning uh, and reading. He was one of the people that I would definitely admire. So when I saw that he was our program director there, it, it really uh, led me to applying. So in the middle of that program, I was. Uh, going through the classes, and I enjoyed the classes, I enjoyed learning, and we were exposed to uh, doing a little bit of teaching uh, and doing, of course, the research component. So in 2006, when I was uh, about in my second or third year into my classwork, I actually went back to my alma mater, to University of Laverne, and I taught in their athletic training program. At this point, it was now an accredited uh, athletic training program. 
and I taught a few classes for them for a year to get my feet wet in teaching a little bit more. I did enjoy that. Um, also, one of my other colleagues at, at a local physical therapy school, um, we took our CSCS exams together, and she was a physical therapist. She was also uh, faculty at the physical therapy school. She was starting a strength and conditioning course, and she asked it to be her lab instructor for the course. So I, I had a little bit more teaching with that, and I, I, I really saw that I, I liked I like teaching people. Um, then as I got, as I dove deeper into my dissertation through my doctoral program, I realized, well, I, I really enjoy reading. I really enjoy doing research. I really enjoy writing, uh, the scientific component of things. And, uh, that's when I actually went about my way to, uh, maybe when I finished my doctorate, I said, maybe I'll give a go at, working in a, in a university setting. Um, so when I finished my doctorate, it took me a long time to do my doctorate because I was doing it part-time. So it took me eight years. So from 2004 to 2008, I was running the business, growing the business, and finishing that doctorate. Uh, so in 2012, when I finished, I applied at Cal State San Bernardino as an adjunct professor. And uh, I got the position as an adjunct, and I got a little more more exposure. Instead of teaching one or two classes, now I was teaching three classes regularly. And then there was an opening for uh, now a tenure track professor in 2013, which I applied for. And then I, I got hired on and then I, I became a tenure track professor in 2014, uh, which was, uh, well, yeah, I'm going on my fourth year, which seems like just yesterday. But and now I've had the opportunity to develop my research agenda a little bit more. I still get the opportunity to teach my students. Um, and uh, that's how that kind of came full circle. And that's something that if somebody's listening, that really is, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, an atypical path to get where you are now. And I and I think if you yeah. look at, if you look out there for people who are not doing hardcore research in the lab hours and hours, this is the more interesting path and people like you are the professionals that can provide a lot of education either for listeners or for students who are listening to this because not only are you teaching and doing the research, but you're actually practicing what you preach with what you do with the personal training and uh, working with patients. So, so one of the questions... Yeah, go, go one of the questions I had when I listened to this... Uh, I found it interesting that you said that you it took a while for you to finish your doctorate. My dad actually went to law school when he was 74, so I'm always interested to hear about atypical students or people who don't pursue the typical path. And my curious question was, what was your dad a professor, or what is he a professor of? Uh, he was a professor of uh, business and marketing. So really you kind of adopted what he did with your, with your business plan, but by going into the movement field, you kind of went way off into left field. Yeah, I think I would say I, I enjoyed the business side and the administrative component to, to a degree, but, but my passion has always been fitness, health, movement, sports medicine. Uh, that's, that's my, that's where my passion lies. And, uh, 
you know, in, in taking care of myself or improving my, my physique or my performance has always been something that I strive for. And then to be able to make an impact to others and teach them healthier ways to, to, uh, to live and take care of their bodies or uh, just take their bodies to that next level, whatever that ne- next level might be. It, it might be just being able to go up the stairs again, or it might be trying to go into the NFL. You know, that next level is different for everybody. But I like to be able to help people reach whatever their whatever they define as their next level. And one of the things that uh, you probably see with your students is you have students who really don't have a path or don't know what they want to do. What is a one number one piece of advice you would give to maybe a junior or senior that you're advising who isn't sure what they want to do with their career? They enjoy movement. They, they enjoy being active. They want to do something involving movement, but they're not sure. What would you encourage them to do or how would you encourage them to think to figure out what they could do so that they don't graduate and just take a job at $20 an hour at the front desk of a local gym? I always tell them to to, to reach for the stars and, and, and move forward. You know, that anything they want to do is at their reach. Uh, as an example, I have a student uh, who, who who was in my classes. He just graduated this year, and uh, you know, he he uh, finished his degree in kinesiology. But he's a he's a bright kid. Uh, he enjoys research. Uh, he, he he could write well, and uh, he's uh, he's slightly older than the traditional student. He's 28, so he's not, you know, 22, 23. You know, he uh, wants to get on on his own, wants to pay his own bills. He's, he's got his own bills. Uh, and uh, through through college, he was working for a company. Uh, it was a trucking company, uh, essentially like a mechanical-type job. And it's a union job. It pays well. And uh, he said, you know what, I think I'm just going to go here, and, you know, he's going to make a pretty decent living and he could go from there. But he said, but I don't know if I can see myself doing that. So I told him, I said, look, here's, here's the thing. You have stability, you have good income, but you know, you can also pay your bills doing what you love. And, uh, you just have to find a way to get there and, uh, whatever you need to do to make that happen you can do that. So luckily he, he's going to keep his job right now, but he's going to pursue his master's degree in the evenings, uh, in, in the movement field and, uh, hopefully get his feet into that a little bit more and see if it's, uh, gonna, he's going to continue to pursue that passion that he has because he, he loves the movement field. And, uh, that's always what I encourage him to do is just to, to reach for the stars and, uh, whatever you're passionate about, you can make a living doing it. You just have to, uh, it's not always easy, but you have to find find a way to make it work. And the only way you're going to do that is to jump out and explore it. We're going to talk about this more in the second part of the interv- interview that we're going to come up with in a few minutes and that people will be listening to in two weeks. But in addition to your business side, one of the things that really made you attractive as somebody for moving to live to interview, in addition to the fact that when I met you in the elevator at the NSCA conference, you were very dynamic, is you're a physique competitor. And this is something that is atypical for a college professor, atypical for the athletic training profession, and something that I'd like to learn more about simply because I'm an endurance athlete who doesn't understand that. So my question for you in the professional side of this, do you find that 
your physique training helps with your teaching or helps with your profession, or how do they interact? Are you able to use that? Yeah, it definitely helps. I've, um, I, I started into the bodybuilding uh, when I finished college sports and I wanted something else to do. And uh, a friend of mine took me to my first show and uh, he said, uh, you should try to compete one day. And I said, I said, I don't ever want to wear grease and put oil on and compete. That's never anything I want to do. But he, he, he gave me uh, enough motivation to just try it one time. I went to the one show and I said, you know what, let me just try one show. Um, and I, I dived it down for about three months and, you know, a few months later I, I was there on stage and I got hooked. Um, it's definitely taught me a lot in terms of, uh, I've had to learn about nutrition, uh, tenfold, twentyfold, hundredfold, uh, because, uh, what you do to your body to get to levels of 3% body fat, 4% body fat is, is, uh, pretty extreme. Um, that in addition to maintaining your muscle mass, well, how do we maximize muscularity and minimize body fat? Well, those are kind of, they sit on two different parts of the spectrum. So how do we do this? And, uh, of course that carries over to a lot of, uh, really any athlete, because often if you have a patient and you want to do hypertrophy, well, you need to address that. And you address that with proper training, proper loading, uh, proper rest, proper nutrition. Uh, so it really transfers over a lot into that. Also, in, in bodybuilding, you have to think about uh, developing a symmetrical physique. So by that is, okay, well, what muscles are overdeveloped? What muscles are underdeveloped? How do I create balance in this? And that carries over nicely into injury prevention because you have athletes who have muscular imbalances all the time. Uh, you know, they have, they're using certain muscles more than others. Uh, maybe they have stiffness in one side and uh, over more strength in the other side. So now you have these, these imbalances, which then uh, set them up for injury potentially down the road. So it, it gives you a really keen eye in, uh, analyzing the body and also in understanding the functional anatomy of the body. So you can actually provide exercises that are going to specifically target the muscles that you want targeted and not target the ones that are overdeveloped already that are overcompensating already. Uh, so bodybuilding has taught me that. And I definitely use that in my teaching because it's applicable the sport performance, but it's also applicable to rehabilitation. And uh, one of my favorite classes to teach is exercise prescription. It's a senior level class. It's the last class they take before they graduate, essentially. Uh, and they've already had the exercise physiology. They've had the biomechanics. Uh, they've had the anatomy. And when they get there, I really, it's really, I call it a put it all together class. So the class is very difficult. I make it very challenging. I make it very hands-on. Uh, and I want I, I really challenge them with these case scenarios. And I teach them how to put all of this together in, in prescribing exercise programs for different populations, any, from, from the elderly to diabetics to overweight people to bodybuilders to endurance athletes and uh, uh, to people with, with injuries and then being able to prescribe and utilize the skill set and the knowledge they've gained over the last four years in their program 
and putting it all together. The one thing that really interests me about the sport of bodybuilding or physique, what's, what's the correct terminology or what should those of us who are not practitioners, what do we call that? Bodybuilding or physique well, training? I, I think that um, the correct term today would be physique training because there are so many different levels uh, of bodybuilding in, in the fitness physique industry now uh, for men, you actually have three levels you can compete in. You can compete in men's bodybuilding, which is the traditional uh, as big as you can get uh, with as lean as you can. Um, there's also now what's called classic physique. Classic physique is still uh, big on muscularity, but, but they're looking for more um, classical lines is what we call it, which means the smaller waistline, uh, they, they emphasize symmetry a lot more than the traditional bodybuilding because uh, the, the bodybuilders of the 70s had a lot of that symmetry well the guys got so monstrous over the years that some of that symmetry got lost but people still kind of like that freakiness of being as big as you can be so they developed this new line of classic physique uh just a couple of years ago uh and then the other the other line of physique is is actually just that it's called men's physique and that one is what i call your your fitness uh, swimsuit model like so they're still muscular but the guys usually we kind of tease them in bodybuilding because a lot of them not all of them but they don't have their legs <laughs> developed because they wear board shorts so often uh, that part is not often it's not judged because you can't see it anyway uh, so they're they still look for the symmetry but they're definitely not as muscular they're still muscular but compared to the to the pro bodybuilder they're a lot smaller. And then in women, we also have four other categories from bikini, which is more like a bikini model, uh, all the way to the women's bodybuilder, which is a, a female, very large muscle bodybuilder. And, and there's a couple of other areas in between. So physique, I think, is a better term to use because it captures all of those. And we're all training in different subcategories of building your physique. And with this half of the interview, I'd like to finish up with two questions. My first question is for somebody who is recently graduated or is a working professional in the fitness and movement field and somebody comes to them and says, I want you to train me for a physique competition and they have no background in that type of training, where can they go for information so that they can give a qualified workout Maybe not as good as somebody like you with your experience would give, but something that's well-balanced, scientifically based, and is able to at least progress the person from where they're starting. Or is that something that's totally unrealistic? No, I think there are, there are a lot of good resources uh, that, are, that are out there. And uh, believe it or not, uh, bodybuilding.com is uh, you know, obviously a big website uh, that was started about uh, 18 years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer but now that the writers that they have for them are, are they, they utilize, the, I, I've written for them before. I know uh, Jim Stepani is a big name. He's a PhD in exercise science. Uh, he's a big sports supplement, uh, exercise science guru. Uh, and there are, there are people like us that uh, contribute to them. And uh, that's been a lot of my contribution is in some of these magazines uh, or websites over the years, uh, 
the muscular development. They often have people that have, uh, they do have the credentials. And what I like to say we do is, is we water down the science to everyday application. So we're the geeks that are reading all of the scientific journals, uh, but we don't, we don't, we don't present the hard science. We water it down and say, this is how you apply all of this hard science and this is what it means. And uh, that website actually has very good resources uh, and they, they do have good authors that are there that are making sure that the science, there is science in what they're saying. They're not just saying it because some, because some bodybuilder said it. And my second question along these lines for professionals who are listening or for students who are listening is somebody who's looking for nutritional advice, they think they want to try some sort of a physique competition, or they just want to work to get as lean as possible or improve their health. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands of websites, blog posts, etc. Where, in your opinion, based on your professional experience, is the best place to start for those professionals who want to learn more? Uh, well, as, as we're talking right now, I'm heading to the International Society of Sports Nutrition Conference. And uh, I think for those that are physique, uh, sports, nutrition oriented, I think this is the best resource for um, anybody that's looking to do this type of uh, training or this type of uh, nutritional guidance for people. Uh, they have a lot of position statements on improving body composition, on protein consumption, uh, on uh, all of these supplements, HMB, creatine, uh, beta alanine, and they, they have a lot of uh, position statements that are written by uh, other researchers in the area, leading researchers in the area. So they really put the science together and then they present on it. So to me, I think that's the great, the, the best starting point is to go into an organization like the ISSN, uh, because I think they're definitely, uh, in terms of nutrition, they're the equivalent of the NSCA for sports nutrition. And I have to confess that was kind of a leading question because when you said by email that you were driving to a conference, I suspected that's where you were going. I've actually got, uh, Dr. Smith Ryan and Dr. Antonio's sports nutrition textbook sitting on my desk, which is what we use in my sports nutrition class I'm teaching now. And I know the ISSN just updated their uh, protein position stand, their creatine position stand. And I don't know if it was updated or is new, but there's also within the last week or so a body composition. So good advice, good information from Dr. Escalante. We're going to come back in two weeks, and you're going to be able to hear part two of us talking with Guillermo Escalante. He is a businessman, a personal trainer, a physique competitor, as well as a college professor. So he really exemplifies practicing what you preach and doing that. Dr. Escalante, thank you for taking time for talking with us, and we will talk with you more in two weeks. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guests, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play, and be notified about a new episode release. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, both at underscore MOV number two 
L-I-V. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. We're a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving. Mm -hmm.